Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Today's show is the best. We're gonna run through these super quick so that we can get straight to the episode because today is a hot take. If you're not already, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review if you like the show. It seriously helps way more than you know. And if you wanna see all the uh, video version, go to YouTube. Check it out and subscribe, it's great. Today's show is brought to you by Supergrip ATV Tires. Supergrip ATV has been a sponsor of the podcast for almost two years now. I run their uh, their uh, Supergrip ATV K9 tires. I actually run a 30 and a 32 and the Kevlar and the most recent addition to the Supergrip ATV tires is the XT tire version. Very cool stuff because what they did was, uh, and don't ask me exactly how they calculated this first number, they increased performance by 70% on the tire. Now, the reason they did that, and what makes a little more sense to me, is they actually added 20% more rubber to the tire. And I think they added it in certain places where, uh, because I have a set of non-XTs and I have a set of XTs as well. The XTs, when you air them down, they don't bulge the exact same way. Uh, my 30s are my non-XT tires and they bulge just kind of like a regular tire. But those XT canines, my 32-inch tall canines, it's really crazy. They don't bulge like right at the, uh, like the, you know how the tire goes closer to the wheel and normally there's a, kind of like a fat lip right outside the bead? It's not exactly how it is. The bead right there is super strong and most of the bulge is actually right next to the tread. So you'll get most of your capability off-road increased while maintaining a strong sidewall. The XTs were, I mean, it may have been that I went from a 30 to a 32, but I could not believe the performance gain that I had from having those tires aired down at the perfect PSI and having, I mean, I had a great day on them. They held up for me. No, no even signs of leaking. Had them on the car for a little over a month now, and they're at the exact PSI I left them at. SupergripATV.com and SupergripATV on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, next is the classic and the super powerful RCV Performance. I'll say this. RCV Performance has sent me some Trail Series axles. I'm going to put them to the test this year at the National Rock Racing Association races. I'm not going to be racing, but I'm going to be doing a lot of trail riding. And that's why they sent me the Trail Series axle. It recently just came out, and I did a comparison video on my Instagram. That Instagram is just racing on the rocks. And what I did was I compared the CV size on the inner and the outer joints, and I also compared the weight and the thickness of the shaft because ask any of your friends the most important part about your shaft is the thickness uh, one of the most interesting things about the trail series axles is the beautiful powder coat that comes on it obviously it's going to have the rcv performance strength durability the crazy boot strength that you're used to seeing with rcv performance axles but the really cool thing too is i currently have a 1000 diff in mine rcv axles are completely rebuildable any part that you need for your rcv axle since they are made in america you can get in a timely manner and like your for example with me my 1000 diff i'll be upgrading that soon to an rs1 diff so i'll actually swap out the inner cvs for the turbo style. So if you're in a vehicle that you may not be in forever and you really enjoy your RCVs because they are a one-time buy purchase, you can always upgrade them to your next machine or move them to another machine just by swapping out inner or outer CVs. 
absolutely highly recommend it. I'm very pleased and cannot wait to get some miles on my RCV Performance Trail Series axles. Go check them out. They're a much more reasonable price point than the Pro Series. They carry a slightly different warranty than the, two, uh, than the Pro Series, but I'll let you guys go figure it out, and I highly recommend them. I cannot wait to give you guys my full review. RCVPerformance.com and RCVPerformance uh, on Facebook and Instagram. Next on the list is Diddy's Big Block Race Shop. Diddy's Big Block Race Shop has been with us for about a year. Uh, I'll just tell you this. They revalved maintenance and did everything to my shocks that needed to be done. And I will, I will straight up just never own another side-by-side -side that does not have the Diddy's Big Block Race Shop touch to it. Their, their revalving was an incredibly reasonable price for what I got in return. Uh, I actually have them paired with all things UTV spring, uh, tender springs, and um, it's a beautiful combination. The car floats in the trails and, and rocks and everything. It's really something special. Uh, I don't have any kidney pain or back pain after a long day of riding. I don't have to worry about any of that anymore because I have Diddy's Big Block Race Shop valved, maintenanced, did the whole internals, and I am super pleased. Diddy's Big Block Race Shop on Facebook and Instagram. Next on the list is All Things UTV. All Things UTV has also been with the show for a very long time. I cannot recommend them enough in terms of having the parts that you need, like the RS1 diff and the kit that you need to have the RS1 diff swap. Also, one product that I'll never, ever, ever not have on my machine, I'll always have it, is the Razor Aid inner fender liners that protect the inside of your car or the passengers in your car by creating a steel stamp out for your floorboard. And I've seen a bunch of people have foreign objects, logs, stick, rocks, all that kind of fun stuff, break through their floorboard and firewall, and it just relieves all of that because you have a nice, uh, very thick piece of steel that is molded, completely fit right into those inner fender liners. Check those guys out, All Things UTV on Facebook and Instagram and allthingsutv.com. The new sponsor, brand new, what we have, is Essentially Off-Road. They're actually in my hometown. Uh, Blake, who is the owner of Essentially Off-Road, the, the actual shop itself does general 4x4 maintenance, but Blake is the wizard behind the shop. He is a fabrication god. He can literally build numerous things. Absolutely amazing. Some of the fabrication that comes out of that place and what he builds in particular that he wanted me to highlight now is essentially off-road has started building razor production cages. I think that they're, I mean, they're somewhere in the ballpark of $800 to $1,000. And these are some of the most square, I'll tell you this, my cage on my razor right now ain't very square. It's about two inches lower on the passenger side. I'll have to be upgraded to an essentially off-road cage. They're super square, beautiful welds. Blake at Essentially Off-Road is a gifted welder, and you're going to have not only a piece of art, but a piece of art that is completely structurally sound, safe, all kinds of fun stuff, good to ride in. Let me tell you that right there. And uh, no peace of mind. You know, what better peace of mind than if you get in a situation where you roll over, you're going to be safe. EssentiallyOffRoad.com, Essentially Off-Road on Facebook, and Essentially Off-Road 4x4 on Instagram. Last but not least is the sponsor that's been with us the longest, Infinite Off-Road, has a code word ROCKS, R-O-C-K-S, 10% off at checkout for your light bars, whips, wheel rings, pods, rock lights. I'm going to get a set of their magnetic rock lights and their um, chase lights. 
or their chase lights actually are brake lights that double as chase lights and they triple as a bed light as well. They have this nice courtesy light that uh, when you flip it on or you flip it on with the option of the bed light on, it'll illuminate your entire bed just like your pickup truck does. So if you've got cooler tools, anything like that, it's nice to have that light back there. You don't have to hold your phone, close one eye and jump up there and slide off there, you know, having all these kind of troubles trying to get to be able to see what you need to see. It fixed it. Can't wait to try those out. Mag magnetic rock lights are the only rock lights on the market with a pure dedicated white emitter. Very excited to have those guys on board. InfiniteOffRoad.com, 10% off uh, with code word rocks at their website. Just type it in at checkout. No tax. Today's episode is going to be great, but before we get to that, I have one last thing and one last special request. If you haven't already, You've probably heard that one of the East Coast racers had a really unfortunate accident this weekend involving a lot of fire and, and will be having a long road to recovery. So there is a link on our Facebook if you want to contribute Mr. Wes Keen and his family uh, at this time. The last thing they need to be worried about is finances. So if you want to chime in, you know, a dollar helps, five dollar helps, whatever. The last that I saw, it was at 40000 of a $100,000 goal. So thank you to the Off-Road community for coming together and supporting everybody. But today we have Alex Reed on the show, the man behind CT Raceworks. We get into everything from UTV manufacturing to expedition vehicles and even a little bit of being stranded on island for a few days. So without further ado, the great and powerful Alex Reed. Get a drink and gather around. Let's talk drivers. Let's talk rigs. Let's talk skill. You've got the best of the best in the off-road racing world. Have a seat at the table with us and let's talk about racing on the rocks. Is if you'll just give me a big smile, I'm going to make our little, uh, and see if I can get him where he doesn't look so goofy here. There we go. All right. Perfect. That'll be our uh, that'll be our social media uh, little header picture for the for the okay. informational post. But uh, we'll just go ahead and get it started. Alex Reed from CT Raceworks is on the show after uh, weeks, it seems, of planning. I'm so glad to have you here. Yeah, man, good to be here. Yeah, I told you this just before, and I'll say it again. I owe you the most sincere and biggest apology that I can give because. I think I was texting you just before my my son was born, which was like I feel like a month ago, or I can't I can't even remember if he was born yet or whatever it was. And then uh, on Friday we were supposed to record this, and I had a, someone at work absolutely go bananas on me and and just have to require all of my attention for everything on my day off. So either way, it's gone crazy. And uh, I also just want to apologize to my wife. Just so happened to be the day she had to step out. So we've got a third member of the show. So everybody listening nice. just to the, the audio version, uh, the squeaks and hiccups are, are coming from uh, my son. So he is uh, joining us in the studio today, but he's he's pretty quiet. He doesn't cry. Uh, good deal. <laughs> yeah. So how you been, man? Uh, the last year has been crazy for everybody. And I always like to do a little bit of due diligence before we start recording. I noticed that you guys are you have a high volume warning like on your website, things like that. Uh, how's business been? How's life been for you? Tell me about it. Man, it's been good. Business has been awesome. Uh, man, the last couple of years, we've just grown and grown and grown. Um, 
I, I've got zero complaints. Um, everything's everything's good. Personal things good. Getting out, doing all the things that we like to do, uh, and it's it's good. It's good. Yeah. So before we dive into the business side of things, um, tell me a little bit about yourself, like outside the off road world. Are you, you know, how'd you get your start in this? Do you are you can you drive? You know, uh, big machinery. What can you do? What do you like to do other than off road stuff? Man, I'm a big outdoors guy. Uh, like to camp, whitewater kayak stuff, mountain bike. Uh, do a lot of shooting as well. Um, so man, that's, that's, that's my stuff. If it's outdoors, I, I'm doing it. I've got a big LMTV expedition rig I'm building. Um, so we can pretty much haul it side by side behind us. All of our gear go wherever we want. So um, you said you were in a mountain biking. Uh, are, do you, do you, what do you think about e-bikes? Let me ask you this. Cause I got to see one in person and then I was, I was informed that I actually saw an e-motorcycle. Those are the coolest <laughs> yeah. things I've ever seen. It's so cool. Yeah, I've uh, being that I absolutely hate going up hills. Um, I think it's great. Uh, I've I've rode one once though. Uh, it's yeah. I, I'm trying to do it, man, a little bit for exercise. But I, I raced BMX when I was a kid, so I still yeah. like to go out there on the trail and kind of dip around and have fun. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, man, if you're out there, it's a good time regardless of what you got. Well, I saw like a few of these little e motorcycle things. I mean, they're not much bigger than like a bicycle, really. I think like Trip Pullen and, and Cash LaCroix, they had them at the Windrock race and they were climbing part of the bouncer course in their little e-motorcycles. And I was just like blown away at the amount of like instant power yeah. they have. And I'll tell you, and I'm going to ask you about this later. Uh, it's really got me thinking about like the EV electronic vehicle sector, how it will eventually bleed into side-by-sides and all that kind of fun stuff. But uh, before we get there, Tell me, you know, you mentioned building an overlanding vehicle uh, or, or a, a big scale vehicle to have pretty much go anywhere and take the side by side behind. Where's the most or where's your favorite place that you travel to? Man, being that I do a decent amount of desert racing and I live in North Carolina, which I have lived here my whole life. That um, is not close. I, I, I like the desert, um, I, I guess, just because it's it's a change of scenery. Like a lot of so is there, are you more of like an open desert kind of guy or like the hammers? What, what kind of desert fits your, uh, fills the void? Uh, man, I like it all. I like it all. I'll have fun anywhere. So I've never been to the desert and I've done strictly like East Coast woods wheeling. If you had to give me like a couple pieces of knowledge or advice, you know, I, and I'm thinking about going to Moab this summer. Uh, what would the advice you'd give me, whether it be for my machine or for me, like what's something that you think would be beneficial for me to know? Oh, uh, well, I mean, going to a place like Moab is awesome. Uh, been there really only once, actually. Uh, it was right after a Best in the Desert race. And uh, I was I was hauling everything back to North Carolina. We jumped out and went out to Moab, um, went to top of the world. Uh, Best of the desert car at Moab obviously is is not the most ideal vehicle <laughs> to have. Yeah, um, but but it's, I mean it's capable. It's it's always capable. So um, you know, I, I, while I go out there and race on a personal level to go out there and play and have fun um, without having a, a timeline to to race and to prep a vehicle and to do things. Other than that, I really don't get out there. Um, so. Me and my my advice is um, 
not going to be too full of experienced things aside from racing. Yeah. Uh, King of the Hammers, that the, the whole lake bed deal out there, the rocks outside, um, that lake bed deal is, 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 is something to experience. I mean, it is, it is unlike anything else. So it's just going to depend on kind of what kind of toy you're taking out there and, and, mm-hmm. you know, whether you want to tear stuff up going fast or going slow. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you, how'd you get your started in the off-road world? Because you have made a huge staple in the UTV industry, specifically uh, with the Can-Am machines. But where did it all start for you? Man, so when I was 17, my first vehicle was a 72 FJ40. Um, cool. It's a small block, SM465, 205. Um, it's on 35-inch swampers. You know, I was a high school kid, so that was like, that was cool <laughs> stuff to have. That's um, like the go-to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was awesome, man. Um, had a, had, I, that's the foundation of everything that, that I've done was that vehicle. Um, you know, I didn't, I have, a, I've always had a good amount of mechanical knowledge, but never, um, I guess never really the funds. Right. And that's what a lot of, a lot of us, that's how a lot of the people in the industry start. We, we have some know-how. We don't have a lot of money to take it anywhere else. So, uh, man, learned how to work on stuff from a young age. Um, that led me, um, at the time, I was working at a um, at a machine shop, uh, rebuilding screw machines and, and stuff like that. So um, was doing mechanical stuff early on, but led into a mechanic position at Toyota. So I worked at the dealership for about three or four years before I started the shop. So I have a deep mechanical background. Um, and as the off-road stuff progressed, um, it's kind of where uh, the, the fab stuff uh, kind of picked up and, and changed some things. Uh, changed the dynamic of what I did into more of the, the the sheet metal, the welding, the tube bending, the fitting, all of that stuff. So was there one point where you went from having, you know, a full stock body Toyota to, okay, now we're going to like a, a full size rig tube chassis, or did you at some point just make the transition like a half hybrid little truggy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it started with the kind of the truggy aspect of things. Uh, man, so CT, the the whole reason for the CT in the name is the original business name was Carolina Truggies way back when. So that started in 2007 and um, uh, kind of a well-known vehicle that I built. I built the, the Killer Crutch JK that went on the cover of Crawl Magazine at the end of 2010. Wow. Um, and yeah, so that's that was uh, really the first way over the top built JK. Um you know, tons, Hemi, coilovers, kind of the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to uh, pull up a, uh, a picture of it really quickly uh, because I actually remember looking at this thing and thinking to myself, uh, the, the cool thing about it was there was a lot of Jeep left. And I thought that that was, that was something that really gets missed in a lot of these uh, conversions. Now, let me see if I can get this going here. Got my my kids kicking me right in, the, right in my mouse arm here. All right, there we go. That's it, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You see the Carolina truck across the top of the windshield. Yep, that's yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing that I like, like I said, is you know you kept a lot of the Jeep here, but how much of the internal like I see you've got some really interesting like boat side sliders there. Something a style that isn't normally in the Jeep world because actually that's where I got my start was all in Jeep stuff like that. Uh, and I see a lot of the Can-Ams nowadays, they, you know, you guys are making that kind of full boat-sided look to it. Uh, what's going on underneath that thing? 
Oh man. So, uh, you know, it's a stock chassis. Uh, it's a stock, you know, JK frame body for what's left of it. Um, is the same. It's, it's, a it's got a Hemi in it. Um, underside of the frame, you know, aside from having the larger transmission, it's got an Atlas in it. Um, Man, this was this was like twelve years ago. Um, cool. <laughs> I remember all the details to this thing. Um, yeah. It's uh, it, it's it's a it's a badass Jeep. Um, the guy still owns it. It's 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 still local. Um, but man, underside of this thing, you know, it, it's it's really just a. Yeah, it has the sliders from the for, or the boat sides from a protection standpoint, but. Like we didn't have to hack into the body to raise anything up. It was really just smoothing the transition from the bottom of the frame up to the side of the body to where, you know, the thing could get drug all over, all over the place and, and not do any damage. Um, yeah. So that's something that I feel like is, is missed because, you know, a lot of times people will just run like a kicker that, that keeps trees from going out and in, in between the, the, the body of the car and the rear tire. But why not, like, just give it, first off, it polishes off the entire look of the thing, makes it look less, yeah. you know, uh, industrial, I guess is the right way to say it. But also, right. you'd imagine if you're going to drag it, why leave holes and spaces between bars to have that issue? I, that's something that I've always really liked about, it, it just, like I said, it kind of polishes it, makes it a little, a little bit more of a complete, uh, a complete add-on. But this is pretty cool. Now, I have a question here, just a little side note. Uh those are the old spider lock bead locks, right? Yes. Is that still around? Because when I got started with off-roading in like 2011, 12 area, those were like the dream, man. If you had those bead lock rings, it was like you were hardcore. Are they still around? Is that still a thing? I've been so disconnected from the Jeep world for so long. Uh, man, I have to, to be honest. I really don't know. I, I would hope somebody picked it up because it was a good setup. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. It seems pretty strong. But anyways, you start here, you go move to the truggy side of things. Uh, when did you start getting into the UTV market? 2013 uh, was when we officially started transitioning from working on Jeeps and four-wheel drive stuff to going full into side-by-side stuff. Um, when the original Maverick came out, the OG Maverick, that was, that was, that was when it all changed. Before then, uh, 2009, I was racing GNCC with a buddy of mine in a Kawasaki Terex. Um, fantastic yeah. thing, but but man, we're yeah. like, yeah. you know, we're we're talking about the golf cart days. Um, that learned a lot with that thing, big bore kit, you know, cage, uh, a ton of stuff. But you know, the the side by sides were still so early in the evolution of things that I mean, that's that's where the whole. <laughs> so we actually had a race way uh, probably. Uh, 2011 2012 and uh there were a bunch of us standing around and we decided that it would be funny as hell to strap like a golf cart like a golf bag to the back of the car yes. and yes. run around the track just just because the kind of the stereotypical things that were said about them um so yeah that that was the start of it racing the terex and then 2013 transitioning over into um starting to manufacture side-by-side parts so the big question for me is uh why not polaris I like to be different. I, I get it. So and I'm, I like that's an interesting statement because, you know, I like to be different with the Can-Ams. That used to be, I mean, that was, I would hands down agree with you. But we're starting to reach this point where that's like, you know, focusing on Can-Ams, it's not the, it's not the unusual anymore. Uh, we're starting yeah. to 
a big market shift. How do you feel about that? I think that you guys are, you know, have definitely uh, given that that movement some momentum too here recently, especially. Yeah, the roots are deep for us in the KM stuff. I mean, being that that we started with KM's first sports side by side, anybody that's been you know, brand loyalist to Can-Am. I mean, they know who we are. They know what we make. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's helped a lot carry through the transition of models over from, you know, the, the original Can-Am Maverick over to the XDS, the turbo car, um, and then again over into the X3. So, um, you know, while I like to bounce around and work on different vehicles, some that are not as mainstream, it, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been, a, it's a, been a huge transition shift, um, you know, there's there's not a lot of Polaris's on the podium anymore. I mean, it's the majority of it's Can Am stuff. So let's talk about that, and we're kind of you know jumping ahead. Uh, well, actually, let's just talk about it now. Um, wh- why? What has happened between the machines? I mean, is it the machines? Is it the driver? Is it factory support? Because Can Am has been you know not only winning, they've been blowing it out of the water. Not even close. No competition. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what we build for uh, for anybody, there are certain guys out there that can drive that will dominate no matter what they're in. Right. Uh, Kyle, that dude is fast no matter what he's in. Um, <laughs> he's fast as hell. Yeah. Um, so I would say that, that Can-Am's – I think Can-Am – once they get into an industry, they push a little bit harder. I think they do push to jump in and be the top. Mm-hmm. Um, Polaris has, they made a big push. They, they got to the top and, you know, it, it, it appears that, you know, they've got, they had their top spot for a while. They've got, they still have market dominance. I mean, regardless right. of what, of what everybody posts on Facebook and social media and everything else, you know, from a number standpoint, you know, marketing wise, um, going into the data that all players is still top dog. Right. Um, and, and they'll probably hold that for a while now getting into the racing and kind of the performance high end go fast stuff. Yeah. Can Am's going to, I mean, they're, they're up there, but um, man, you know, we've, we've all been looking at stuff, you know, leaked pictures from players for so many years saying, yeah. when's it going to happen? When's yeah. it going to happen? Is it going to be the end of July? Is it going to be Camp Razor? Like, when is it coming? When is the yeah. next car going to come? And, you know, year after year, I think three years now, uh, since the X3 came out in 2017, everybody's like, man, when's it happening? And and, and nobody's, nobody's seen anything. Yeah. And I, I feel like the Pro XP was a really underwhelming release. You know, it, it's to me, like, I didn't even really hear that much when they released the Turbo S. Like, it was just real casual. They kind of just slid it out. And then the Pro XB comes out and it, and it kind of falls flat to a certain degree. But uh, I, I've been in it. It's an awesome machine. It just seems like they were were like, we'll put this out and then we'll push. You know, they're waiting for something else to like do the massive push behind. And it feels like yeah. it's just been delayed to a point where it's kind of like, OK, like, what are we what are, what's happening? Why are we, you know, we're intermittently sitting somewhere that doesn't make sense. Right, for sure. And, um, and and I guess just because I am known for being in all of the Can-Am stuff, just to kind of go back on something, that car yeah. that I took to Moab, all the best in the desert stuff that I was doing was racing with a buddy of mine, Bill Zemak, in a Polaris. Yeah. So yeah. I was in a four-seat Polaris chassis that, of course, we built. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, I do have the Polaris experience. I've, I've, I've tinkered around in that a fair share. But, yeah. uh, I mean, even dealing with their race department on things, you know, there's – 
It's rough. Like call it, call it what it is. I have gotten some experience dealing with the race team. Holy smokes. It's so difficult to get, you know, they, I mean, you know, they always say like take, give an inch and they'll take a mile. Holy smokes, dude. They don't give half an inch. They are rough on everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and factory backing for top tier racers is, is just, it's kind of got thinned out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's still good. There's still factory racers out there that are, that are bad, fast guys. I mean, Sims is, I mean, another, dude's fast um so yeah i mean there's there's still a handful it's just that that support they they kind of lost their aggressiveness in the racing world well i also think too and i i kind of talked a little bit about this on my uh koh rant after after the utv race they have uh, a lot i would probably say five to six guys or girls that race 4400 as their primary and they use the utv as a warm-up and they're not afraid to come out and say that and you know, then you have, again, this is coming from someone who's not versed in desert racing, best in the desert mm-hmm. works, anything like that. But you have these, you know, kind of uh, token characters that they support, if that makes any sense. And, yeah. uh, you know, just kind of like for show type stuff. And, and it's like, wow, there's there's such a missing demographic here of supporting names just because they're names and like they just guys. And you would think you know, being the, because, because I, I, I agree and have definitely understood that Polaris is the top dog and has a lot of momentum. It's hard to steal that top dog momentum right now, just because they make a, a really nice, cheap machine that you can get into like a 1000. Awesome. Right off the shelf. Someone can do pretty much everything with that. It's good. And they're happy. Um, yep. But, you know, it just seems really weird on the race factory team side, because, you know, someone who's on the East coast, I have never heard of 80% of them. And I don't ever see them. I've never seen them at events. I never see them ever. And uh, it just seems weird, but uh, you know, kind of is what it is. I guess my real question that follows that is what do you think the correlation between winning races and um, consumer, you know, like a, a rise in, in purchasing product, what is the correlation there? And, and why would Can-Am dump more money into the race program if the correlation is not as good as people say it is? Uh, not to get into the, I guess the politics of the manufacturers too much, because obviously sure. we're, we're heavy in one. No, um, yeah. 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 Please. I'm tied to nobody. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I think one of, I'll kind of roll this into what I do too. I, I don't, I don't do a lot of marketing um, mm-hmm. in the sense that I'm not, I'm not posting ads out everywhere. I sponsor a handful of guys and mm-hmm. those guys that do well, um, I use their performance with our parts is, is my kind of marketing deal. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I, you know, I, I, the best way to, to market to a certain demographic is definitely throw, throw a car at, at some top guys and let them go out there and beat the daylights out of it and let it live right. and let them win. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the flip side of that, like you're saying, you, you have a handful of guys that are, um, big names that are not racing. They're they're like, oh man, you know, this guy's got a car. That's cool. If he has mm-hmm. one, then you know, they're 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 trying to drive off of that a little bit. Right. In terms of what's better than the other, I, I don't know. But lobbing a car and, and a bunch of guys that are fast, putting it in their hands, that's that's going to be the best way, in my opinion, to to sell a vehicle and, and to push a brand. Which yeah, is exactly what Can Am's doing now with with the Miller brothers and Kyle and 
Yep. You couldn't pick a better group of guys. Like you yeah. could not have picked those those guys and and the chemistry that you can see between all of them. It's awesome. Uh, you know, I I wonder and had someone ask me how much do you think they pay, that Polaris paid Casey Curry to make the switch, and I was like, if I'll <laughs> I can't even imagine because you know how could you how could you make that switch at that time and you know it just seemed really strange. But yeah, that's, that's a head scratcher for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a good question. But you know, anyways, moving on. Uh, what is working with a race team? You know, so you as the manufacturer, do you guys just whip up some, you know, some of your standard parts and put them on the car? Do you guys look at a stock X3 chassis, add a reinforcement? How, how does the product or the uh, process rather go when? Kyle comes to you and says, Hey, I've got a car and I want to race this particular car at the hammers. How is How does that process start end and finish? So in the early days, so we'll say end of 16, beginning of 2017, you know, we would build a bolt on car, uh, meaning that, you know, a cage would bolt onto it. Uh, mm -hmm. We would take, you know, a handful of catalog items, uh, throw them on the car. And, you know, you can look at a car, and you can point out obvious weak links, say, you know, there's a, a particular point in the chassis. You're like, oh, man, that's going to be a problem. You know, it's going to be a problem. But there are, right. are there are other parts of that chassis that you don't know what is going to be a problem until the end of the season. And you can strip a car back down and you can say, all right, you know, we've we've got some issues here. Mm -hmm. So that leads into the evolution of it all. Um, now, current days. So now we're 2021. Um, so. For instance, we'll and yeah, we'll stick with what Kyle's doing. So you know he's mm -hmm. running uh, King of the Hammers, got a Texplex car, and got a Champ car. Um, so obviously, a short course car mm -hmm. is going to be dramatically different than the King of the Hammers car. So King it's of the Hammers car, yeah. Okay, so short course that it needs to be as light as it can be. It needs to be extremely rigid though. So when this thing dives into a corner, feedback suspension, everything's doing what it needs to do. Um, King of the Hammers car. It needs to drag over everything. It, it needs to have the shit beat out of it all day long. Yeah. Um, and it needs to hold up. It, it's, it's a totally different line of catalog parts. Um, you know, a hammer's car, box suspension, high clearance, sacrifice a little bit of weight for the sake of having a lot of strength. Mm -hmm. um, short course car, you know, no need to boat side a, a short course car. So, um, you know, we're talking about a, and I haven't scaled one of his cars once it's been all done. So we're going to throw out a round number of say, you know, there's a, 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 a 2000 pound King of the hammers car, spare tire on it, 35s and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Or you got a 1600 pound, you know, short course car, um, yeah. hammers car, 35 inch tall tires, suspension, big, the whole car's big short course car, 28 inch tall tires, small, throw it around the corner, super low ride height, um, sit him on the floor, uh, on the floor of the car. So there's there's a lot of things that change between a desert car, short course car, King of the Hammers car and all and all that stuff. Now, that's awesome information. First off, thank you, because that is uh, there's people out there thinking about their about their machine. And they're like, what kind of riding do I do? And is there an adjustment that he just said that I can kind of gravitate towards? Because uh, a lot of what you're describing is, you know, kind of theoretical practice, like theoretically, a short course car should be lower 
seat, you know, seats lower, everything's lower, minimal suspension travel, real hard, stiff, all those things. And those are, you know, general ideas. But when it comes to actual, you know, implementing those ideas, it can look a bunch of different ways. And uh, I think that that's always really cool to see how people will interpret what you say and and take it and do their own little spin on it. Um, But let me ask you this. What is your favorite kind of car to build? Do you think that you guys build a car that does one thing, you know, one thing really, really well. Are you guys primarily, you know, obviously at success at hammers uh, or your short course cars? I mean, is there a favorite that you have? Man, the car that I just posted up, uh, my Dude. car. That, Dude, that is mean. Yeah, yeah, that that car is everything I've wanted in an X3 since we've been building X3s. Um, Dude. That is a, a car that we can that we can go in and do the over the top things that we can do. So, you know, a lot of stuff here, we're a unique shop. We're, we're, we're a unique shop in the sense that we can do almost everything from start to finish. So we're obviously doing uh, sheet metal work for the A-arms, tube work, everything, but we have CNC machines. Uh, I have an engineer that's in here. We have a 3D scanner. So we, as we go through the process, we'll build, we can build out a car, scan it into the computer and build a lot of stuff that is just not possible to make by hand. Um, yeah. Absolutely bananas, man. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's so it's, it looks like such a big car, but at the same time, it is so, I mean, the actual chassis, the actual car seems so, uh, light like like it has a carbon fiber look to it almost yeah so uh you know in this car both sides exactly the same as kyle's uh hammer's car um reinforcement throughout the frame everything the only thing that that is really different on this car from his is the fabricated b pillars that have the shock mount built into it um in the back half of the car Uh, we cut the bottom of the car or i guess the top of the car off and started at the bottom uh, and worked our way up. We we didn't utilize nearly as much chassis as we typically do. Okay, um, man, that's wild. I'm just looking at the the actual boat side in that picture. You guys were able to clear quite a bit off of there. Yeah, it's coming up six inches on the side. Dang, man, I, and it's, it's and, quite a bit. Yeah, so like you know, just for perspective, you know, you're adding six inches to the outer side of the car you know, in translation to the tire, I mean, you're gaining so much clearance there in the section that is, I mean, most vulnerable other than the, than the, the you know, very bottom of the absolute belly there. That's wild, man. What a good look. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, that's a fuel cell car that, that car was built <laughs> kind of a little bit of my spiel on this thing was, is this is the ultimate X3. It will do anything and everything. Well, that's, uh, it will not. That is not a short course car like that. Right, <laughs> that right. I, I would, I would have to agree. Um, but yeah, yeah. Everything else on this car is is, is top shelf. Everything. Man, it's crazy. And if you're listening to just the audio version, I highly recommend that you uh, you go check out the YouTube. Where we're actually scrolling through the pictures right here. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to ask too. Go ahead and uh, give your plug for your social media while we're sitting here looking at it. If somebody's listening and they want to go find it uh it's the it's ct raceworks on facebook and uh is your instagram just ct raceworks yes yep 
Okay. Now my question for you, if the, the car that can do it all, you know, you've got a big rear mounted radiator here. Do you have any issues with seeing what's behind you? I know that's not a situation that, you know, typically uh, you like to take into account, but uh, anything for like trail ride or anything like that, any concerns for seeing what's behind you? Yeah. So we have the race ready uh, spring mirrors on this thing. So, uh, you know, look out driver side, passenger side, and mm -hmm. uh, we've, we've got mirrors. Is it going to be, you know, like having a rear view mirror and, and looking out of the back of the car? No. Um, but you do have visibility. You know, a lot of the times when you're trail riding, you're just trying to see your buddy's headlights behind you to, to make sure they're still back there. Yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, side mirrors, uh, they, they do a good job. They do a really Man. good job. I'm, I'm looking at how you mounted the those rear shocks. Like you said, they're actually back on the B pillar. Um, mm -hmm. What what was the reasoning behind that? Did you guys find a flaw in the stock location or is there just a, a giant benefit in having them back on the B pillar? Um, we wanted to make something, you know, that was really cool and looked good and was really strong. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's a little bit of an aesthetics thing in this, um, sure. but um that that whole combination you know and you can see you can see the coverage that that thing grabs on the main runner of the roll cage as well so yeah. from a surface area standpoint there's a lot more strength overhead uh just by the amount of surface area that's grabbed by that tube so you run a single b pillar tube you come up you know if you have a point of contact up there you know you can kind of crush around the tube a little bit i mean we're mm -hmm. talking bad we're talking about bad situation here um, mm -hmm. which is, which is uncommon, but, um, there's a lot of strength and rigidity in grabbing a, a, a tube all the way through its bend. That was actually what I was going to ask you, uh, after this was, you know, how much strength do you think is gained there? Because you're not only plating, you know, the sides to actually give you the mounting point, but you plated the whole front of that B pillar. And, uh, mm -hmm. I'm assuming to the top right there too. It's, I mean, the top is the, the roll bar for the cage. Uh, I would assume that, you know, there's tremendous strength in that as well, because uh, one of the common things that I hear is, uh, you know, when you have an X3 that you'd like to race, you need to go for go and reinforce the chassis in a certain locations. Uh, I know that there's kits out there for that. But, um, you know, it seems like if you went with something like this, you know, I would say that the from the B pillar back, I mean, you've got to be pretty sturdy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the whole thing with the opening doors as well is, is on the race cars, we utilize a lot of chassis strength by that upper door bar. Okay. Um, and by having opening doors, we needed to do we needed to do some extra stuff to make sure this this car stays true and rigid the whole way through. Yeah. So and now is this is your personal car, right? Yeah. Yeah. And okay. I'm actually going to sell that car. OK, so that's what I thought. I couldn't remember if I saw it for sale or not. Why sell it? <laughs> Oh man, I'm, I, you know, uh, the industry's hot. We've, we've, I've got some more equipment coming in here and, uh, I, I need to, uh, I want more, I want more machinery. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah. talk, speaking of machinery, before we move on, uh, tell me a little bit about your business, how it transformed into, uh, the high quality parts that you guys make. Tell me about what parts you do make and, uh, what do you, what do you take your most pride in? Uh, our craftsmanship, man, sets us apart. Like our welds, our our fit and finish on everything is um, is 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 on a different level compared to a lot of companies in the industry, for sure. Yeah. Like there's there's no mistaking that whatsoever. Um, <laughs> so you know, chassis, suspension, 
that's that's our good stuff. That's that's what we're known for. Um, you know, we build bumpers, cages. Um, so the dynamic in the shop is is um, I've got a team of guys up front in the office. Uh, I've got mechanics here. Uh, really, all of my guys are top shelf. You know, as yeah. much as as I can say, you know, Alex uh, or, or people tell me, you know, Alex, you guys make really good stuff. My guys out back are the ones that are making it. You know, um, you know, I trained them through, set the standard, um, show them what to do, and everything else. But those guys are the ones that are killing it every single day. And and when I say my guys are good, I'll I'll put them up against anybody from a skill standpoint, um, without a doubt. So I've got mechanics, um, I've got machinists, welders, fab guys, um, and, uh, and and we make everything here. Uh, shy of having a laser in here to to cut parts. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, we have the CNC machines and, and um, that help produce a lot of our, not just billet parts that we sell, but mm-hmm. also components within uh, our welded assemblies. So uh, we're, we're able to make some things that other shops typically wouldn't be able to make because we can, we can handle production from multiple aspects uh, being the, the fab part, the, um, the forming of, of the, the material mm-hmm. machining, all that kind of stuff. Uh, awesome. But yeah, we're, we're most known for, for pretty much suspension stuff. That's where we, that's where we shine. Yeah. Especially in the picture of the rig that you just posted, I'm looking at those box arms. Holy smokes, dude. Uh, so I'll, I'll go ahead and I, I've tried, uh, I would say 90% of the razor suspension manufacturers. And uh, it's so funny. I, I tell people all the time, I will try something on purpose that is bad so that I can, when I tell you that it's bad, uh, I right. can tell you from front-hand experience, and I'll tell you this right now. I have a set of, <laughs> and please listen, those listeners. I know where this is going. Okay, <laughs> I I have a set of super ATV box arms. Okay, on my on my machine right now. Knowing what they are, did it on purpose. Have they held up for me? Yeah, they're still on the car. Um, but my goodness, when you look at something like what you guys make, and then I go outside and I look where you know. The boxed arms, like the the actual sheet metal is like lined up, but the weld is like on one side of the arm. It, it really does shine a really bright light on, on what you guys do, because uh, I will say that none of none of my products I have uh, have ever run look quite like that. I'll, I'll say that I'll say that. And I've tried every single manufacturer for suspension components and razors. So I'm going to need you guys to start making some razor parts. <laughs> you know, we have a whole catalog of, of, of razor parts that we have gone through, engineered, developed that are done. We just, we can't keep up with what we have, um, okay. which is kind of the need to bring more equipment in. Um, yeah. You know, you were talking about having a hectic schedule. I had, you know, building inspectors and stuff in here. I'm bringing, I got to bring more power into the building. It, it's wow. been, it's, it, yeah, it's been kind of wild here. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, we're, we, we have a lot. We have a lot that's on deck that, um, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, we haven't seen a new part from, from you for a while. Well, dude, we have it. We, we yeah. have a lot. We, we just, we can't, we can't, can't release a ton because we just, we won't be able to keep up and we can't. Yeah. You know, we we uh, we need to be able to produce more, and that's that's coming very very soon. Yeah, you know, it's so funny, and this is totally off topic. References uh, in I watched an episode of The Office where they have like a seminar, uh, and and one of the guys he like gets he gets roped into a timeshare, and he's like, well, next thing I know, I bought the product and this and that. So he's like, I'm going to do the same thing, 
And one of the one of the people came in and uh, he was you know, looking for information on manageable growth. And that is the first time I had ever heard of or thought about the idea about, you know, growing too quickly and having too much demand. And, and it sounds so funny, but every single person that I've had on the podcast within the last year, you know, being a manufacturer has just told me we don't have product. We can't make it fast enough. We can't do this and that. And it has to be so encouraging for, you know, another manufacturer or just the off-road market in general, uh, looking towards the future to have, there's my son just kind of, he's saying, I need some parts too. He is 100% <laughs> asleep. And he's just trying to get in the conversation here. Uh, but, um, you know, it's got to be br a bright future for you as you look long-term. Uh, you know, how long do you see yourself being so hands-on in the business? I mean, I know that you guys are thriving right now, but, you know, long-term, where do you think that the UTV market goes? Where do you think CT Raceworks goes? You know, every time I've said something, you know, the future shows something different. So I, I, sure. I, I've tried to forecast this time and time again. Um, man, I, I really don't know. At some point, UTVs are going to evolve to the point to where, you know, they're out running sand cars and everything out in the dunes. Um, you know, you're going to start having lightweight UTVs that are, uh, again, king of the hammers, that are going to keep up with 800 horsepower, 40 inch tall tire ultra four cars. Um, I couldn't agree more. So it, it, it will it will hit that price point at some time, though, to where there's going to be people are going to walk the fine line of saying, all right, I've, you know, UTVs are going to, at some point in time, if they keep evolving, are going to hit a forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a car, um, you know, price. And, and that's what's going to separate things a little bit. Where, yeah. where's it lead? I, I don't know, but everything's going to continue to progress. Um, things will, I think the cars will start getting refined a little bit more, maybe creature comfort, some fit and finish stuff. Not mm -hmm. that fit and finish is a, is a problem, but we'll start seeing variations of cars. You know, utilities are starting to have uh, heat and AC in them. Yeah. Um, might start seeing some of that, probably not in sport model, uh, sport models. Um, right. but, uh, all of the little kinks that, that people like me jump in and fix in a chassis, those things will start getting refined, um, by manufacturers. And, and then, uh, you know, people start getting well, faster, more powerful cars and yeah. guys will continue to run out of talent with really, really good cars. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's my next question is, you know, you know, you mentioned the price point stuff being, a, you know, not a barrier for entry necessarily, but um, there is an, you know, if you were looking at it like a graph of popularity, you know, machines sold versus uh, technology put in machines, you know, at some point those, those intersect and you have the perfect price point, you know, whether it be 25, 30, 35, I would be curious to know if one of the, you know, main big manufacturers would say, Hey, this is the car that we sell most of here's Etc. Etc. Can Am. I mean, last year came out with the Smart Shock technology. A four seat Can Am's like forty grand, like right out of the gate. Yeah, yeah, they're they're getting up there. Um, there, there does reach a point with an off road vehicle as well, to where you start throwing too much technology into it, and then you start getting some unreliable, uh, some reliability Agreed. issues out of it. And things become unreliable. That's that's going to be something over time that that's going to have to be watched too. Um, mm -hmm. Electric shocks, you know, smart shock stuff. You you say, oh man, you know, if 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 a rock comes up and and knocks, you know, breaks the connector on a solenoid or something like that, what happens? Mm -hmm. uh, so there are there could be some things in the future that could you know 
be a hindrance as well. Yeah. But now let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Do you think that, uh, you know, we're seeing the big push now in smart shock, shock, smart shock technology being the things that manufacturers have really highlighted in the last few years um, outside of power, because, you know, there's always the, you know, you can never have enough power argument outside of power. Where do you think, I mean, where can they improve? Yeah. I mean, you know, you get to a point where you can outpower a chassis too. So you right. can throw all the power in the world and it's not going to do stuff. Um, it's not going to perform at speed. So yeah, they're, you know, geometry and suspension scrub, things like that. Um, That's things true. that a lot of talk that Robbie's had on the, on the speed car comes to mind. Um, and I've been up to Robbie's shop and looked at that car and that, that car, once they get that thing nailed down from a, from a production standpoint, that thing will be sick. There's, there is seeing that Did thing in person is a whole different thing. Is it going to be real? Oh yeah, dude. I, I, yeah. His shop's 20 minutes up the road from me. I've, I, he's invited us over there and, and uh, yeah, I've, I've gone into his shop a handful of times to check it out. Yeah. It's, it's Why wild. Why do I think that he was like in Arizona or something like that? Uh, he I tests thought, out I Parker was, all the time. I, I guess that's what it is. I, I really mm-hmm. thought that he was like, you know, down there near the shock therapy guys and they were all in the, cause I mean, just like yourself, he's in the desert all the time. I figured that yep. that's where he was. So that was kind of where part of my question was going here. Uh, the speed UTV car, where does that land? Because, you know, if the horsepower lines up the way he says it will and the price point, I mean, personally, I'd be happy as a, as a billy goat, uh, you know, having a $40,000 car, I don't have to fix anything out of the gate. I've got the power I need, you know, for someone who's going to primarily stay on the East coast. The only thing I'm thinking about is, you know, reducing the width of the body uh, of the actual chassis. And then I'm done. I'm good forever. Yeah. Um, till they, from what I've seen, all the prototype stuff, the car, he is, he is thought out. Everything. That's awesome. It's so encouraging. It, it, yeah, I, man, you know, it's with production getting pushed back on this thing. I've, 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 you know, some of the groups are a little rough. Um, mm-hmm. Some things are understandably that way. Um, However, when the car does get released, it's, it will, I think it will be worth it, especially if the production's level can hit uh, the level of quality from, all right. So there's a difference between billet everything as a prototype vehicle to going Mm -hmm. to cast assemblies that then get machined afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there, there's that, that's a, that's a big thing between a prototype car and a, and a, and a manufactured vehicle. Man, if he can keep that, if he can keep fit and finish up on on this car from a production standpoint, that thing will be a force to be reckoned with for sure. Now, is he doing his own manufacturing? Do they have their own setup or are they going to outsource manufacturing to like Mexico or something like that? From what I understand, it'll be made in Texas. Okay, cool. That's exciting. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So my next question then involving the progression of these cars is kind of Texas related. Uh, we have obviously the huge boom with Tesla. Uh, we have the huge, uh, I wouldn't say huge, I'll say very interesting boom with Nikola and their, you know, $85,000 car that they have, the UTV. Um, EV, Polaris last month releases, a, I, I didn't, I, it was so foggy on what was new about the machine. Um, they released a new EV version that's a more trail-oriented EV car. Uh, and for those who don't know, I'm talking about electronic vehicles. Um what, is that the future? I think that's it, man. I think we move to EV and all of a sudden you get crazy torque, crazy horsepower. I mean, and 
you know, the Tesla Plaid Roadster, uh, or excuse me, the Tesla Plaid uh, S model, which is basically like their, you know, their regular car is 2.6 seconds, zero to 60. That's yeah, electric torque is dumb. It's, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. I, I, so um, after hammers, we had, uh, I gotta figure out how to say this without giving all of this away. Cause this is, um, so <laughs> I love this. That is my favorite thing to hear. <laughs> we, we had engineers from an electric vehicle company after King of the Hammers happened. They mm -hmm. called us and to talk about, uh, kind of X3 stuff and what it would take to build an EV side by side that could perform, uh, King of the Hammers just because it's just so violent, uh, right. and punishing on everything. So, I will say that aside from um, what was the other vehicle, the the Nikola or, or yeah, Nikola. I've seen this thing for years, and right. I've never. It's been a prototype for years, and that's another thing that we're like, oh, cool, we we've seen it, but it'll probably never ever happen. Um, this is a big name though that that definitely has the capabilities of making really cool stuff. Um, you know, you, you have some problems of, of dumping fuel in a vehicle versus um, having to charge or replace an entire battery pack. So, mm -hmm. again, we're going to go into kind of play the, the, the devil's advocate in this and say, all right, well, let's support a bunch of race guys. How are, how are we going to do this? Well, right. power is not going to be a problem because, I mean, from a from a like horsepower torque standpoint, that, that won't be an issue. Um it'll be easier to do suspension because if you do wheel motors, you don't, you're not killing CVs and diffs anymore. So that's, that's a lot different aspect there. Um, but the battery car, uh, this is the Nikola car. Obviously this is quote unquote, the prototype uh, they have released. Right. Um, they have released and pricing and it. First off, it's, it's an enclosed car, terrible mm -hmm. decision. Um, Oh, pricing. Where was it? It was eighty-five thousand the last time I looked. So uh, way outside the range. Um, however, oh man, I wish it would show me. I guess it's just going to take me there. Uh, however, they do offer the uh, military version, and oh. uh, the, the military version seems to expect to take off. You know, like like the numbers here seven five. 150 mile range, which off road, that's awesome. But, anyways, uh, 85,000 looks to be the entry level pricing here. Uh, and again, not necessarily the most groundbreaking technology on the actual car itself, just, you know, kind of food for thought. So, I just wanted to throw that up there just so you had an idea, a quick refresher on that car. I think I may have lost you. Are you still there? There you go. You're back. Oh, yeah. I floated away there for a second. That's okay. You're back. So uh, I'd left off just giving you a quick refresher on that Nikola car. Um, mm -hmm. They've got a military production car, it looks like. And uh, they claim to have a production, uh, like, you know, general consumer. But, again, at 85000 it's not an option. Yeah, and 150-mile range, like, sounds great. Um, you know, your desert guys can run that easily i mean vegas right. torino is 550 miles we run it in 13 hours Ooh. yeah 12 13 hours so um 
East Coast guys, you know, we could run a hard hundred miles in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what you do. I mean, when we go up to Hatfield McCoy and stuff like that, I mean, if we run at a decent yeah. pace and don't stop too much, you can run 100, 120 miles in a day. Pretty um, easy. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, it, it's cool. I, I just, I, I guess I'm not as, as hip on the on the whole EV thing as, as a lot of yeah. people are. Yeah. It, it, and, it, 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 there's a lot of things that need to get figured out. A lot. Yeah. Now I'll say this, I'm not necessarily like going to be singing EV from the rooftops. That's not my point here. My point being is uh, I've listened and I'll just come out with it. I listened to Elon talk quite a bit, probably five or six hours in total. And just the numbers, I think that, you know, if there is someone, I'll say this, if, if Tesla can, can walk into the conversation, they have a lot of the technology on the battery side figured out. They have technology on the motor figured out. It would just take the application to the chassis, right? So um, I don't know. There's a lot of potential there. And when, when he started throwing around horsepower numbers and zero to 60 numbers, I was like, all right, something something to have a discussion about for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yep. So yeah. anyway, that's that's my – my. Um... Now, I've also seen in the past years at Hammers, they had the – you know, these little – half UTV, half 4,400 hybrid cars. I think Ross Pilgreen, uh, he had one floating around out there. Uh, what do you think about that hybrid version where the UTV gets bigger and you know more power, obviously, with that? Uh, do you think that that's going to happen or are we going to stay small, nimble, and, and something like that? I don't know. Um, again, I, I don't think that you can you can increase the size too too terribly much because mm-hmm. you know what what's what's separating you from a from a buggy at that True. point. Um, True. Now, what he's built has been awesome. I love seeing him build. I, I think it's awesome. I love guys mm-hmm. that build that stuff for sure. Um, from a production standpoint, though, right. uh, you know, there's already been talk of cars getting pushed from you know 72 inches out to 74, 76. There's there's rumor of a car floating around 78. That is a big side by side yeah that's um, pretty big. yeah so uh, they'll, they'll have to reel it in they'll, they'll yeah. they won't be able to go much bigger than what they already are yeah okay uh well all in all your final thoughts and we'll, we'll kind of get off topic because i've asked you a lot of questions that don't really have answers and uh it's kind of one of those things where when i ask people these i just see if i can reel anything out or you know if anybody has an interesting take on them uh but future side by sides Bigger power, you think that's the, the next step? Yeah, okay. yes, yeah, for I sure. Think, more power, so. more durability. Uh, like I said, I mean, just performance overall, and that's not from an engine. You know, we're talking about reliability within drivetrain setup. So, I, I do think that belts will disappear. Um, I think that will inevitably have to happen as power increases. Now, you have the mm-hmm. fighting argument that sleds make gobs of power and they run on belts. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that we'll start seeing that refinement. And then again, goes back to saying the chassis will have to be able to handle the power mm-hmm. that's put out for okay. sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. Exciting stuff, um, man. So what's got, well, let me ask you this before we got you to talk about the future. Uh, you guys work on big cars. A uh, friend of the show, Jay Calloway, dropped his 4400 car in for, for some uh, some maintenance and things like that. How much on the big car side are you guys still doing? Um, as little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Mainly because, you know, one of the things of, of swapping over to side-by-sides is I was tired of working on really heavy, rusted stuff. Not yeah. to say that um, that every car comes in as rusted or, or, or is full of problems. Jay's car, obviously, is not a rust uh, a rust bucket by any means. But, right. yeah, it's we we do work for a handful of people. We'll still do Jeep lift, uh, lift kits and stuff like that. But, um, you know, more is what I'll kind of refer to as gravy work. Um, Jay mm-hmm. is a totally different, different aspect here because, you know, we still, um, we still, man, Jay's awesome and, and his he's, cars he's are a lot of fun to work on. And I've yeah. been doing work for Jay for probably, oh man, you know, probably 10 years. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've known him for a while, but, um, yeah, his ultra four cars in here, we're going to go through and, and race prep that thing and address a couple little small issues. But, uh, typically if there's a problem that nobody else can figure out that the car comes here most of the time and uh he's about 45 minutes away from us and and uh yeah we work on big stuff just not not like we do the side by sides sure absolutely now i want to talk about uh east coast racing you know i think the only real east coast racing we have here is the pro rock endurance racing i know we have gncc uh we have a few of those you know kind of mid east type organizations but uh do you guys or any of your drivers you know do they do they do the pro rock stuff? It seems to be the best we can get over here. No, because short course racing is getting all of the attention. Um, okay. Everything, okay. you know, GNC, GNCC not being a thing anymore for UTVs, all yeah. of the, you know, and it goes back again to manufacturers wanting to sponsor national events, uh, big events, stuff that's got backing payouts to where it's going to attract a lot of drivers in there. And, and there's, man, there's not really a woods platform out there that's able to do that. Yeah. Um, not that I'm aware of. And, 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 Look, uh, you know, obviously yeah. I build side by sides. This is what I do for a living. Love it. I enjoy it. I can't keep up with every race series that's out there. Um, the Pro Rock, awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, that, that's what I was racing. You know, whenever, uh, whenever I was, you know, running around the track in the Terex and the the OG Mav mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, so I love that. Again, though, um, and Woods Woods Racing, East Coast Racing, just isn't isn't too hot. I would love to see somebody do a once a year race and just pick 150 miles of Hatfield McCoy and just let people Dude. just get after it. Like I, Dude. I would get back into racing behind the wheel for that. For yes. sure. That would be yes. awesome. Yes. I think that that's probably the biggest complaint is that, you know, uh, the, like I'm going to wildcat this weekend for the Southern rock racing series. I'm doing broadcasting for those guys now. And uh, like, I, I look at that park and I'm like, you know, you've got some really cool trails. You've got like the Jurassic Park vibes. You've got these big open dirt. And then you you kind of scale it out to, you know, anything else, basically, like a, like, an, like a crossbar ranch race. And you're like, it just doesn't compare. You just don't have the open uh, capabilities, really get some speed going. You don't have the, the size, you know. Uh, if you're going to run a Wildcat, you're going to run – you know, it's going to be a 40 mile race and it's going to be, you know, 10 laps and it's just not, it's just not the same. And I think that if someone like, I know mid America is like got their big track and their big course and, you know, even still that's kind of not exactly what I think you and I are shooting for because my dream is, you know, TWRA land, Hatfield McCoy, like, let me go blaze through the woods, have a, you know, a, a big horseshoe track somewhere and, and, you know, go run, you know, 70 miles out and then 70 miles back. But yeah. I just, is it is it too much to orchestrate here? Because it seems like the land's just not continuous enough to make it happen. 
Yeah, I think permits on the East Coast are a little bit harder to pull than yeah. permits on the West Coast with BLM land out there, um, yeah. with you know versus service uh, forestry stuff over here. But uh, yeah, I would assume that it's got to be more difficult because nobody's done it yet. True. Um, but um, I, I don't know. I, I would love to see it. I know a lot of a lot of people are out there looking for it, looking for something yeah. like that to happen. Yeah, I know. Uh, I actually interviewed the guy from Kentucky Cross Country. And he does, uh, it's, it's all small scale. I think he had one UTV race last year. It's mostly MX ATV stuff. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I would love to see something like that come up because personally, like I don't want to go bounty hill my UTV. I don't want to go do stuff like that. I don't want to, you know, rip front diffs out and blow sides of the case out on my transmission. It's just not something I'm, I'm like interested in. I'd much rather, you know, go get a long distance race and take the slow lane in my, my little razor and have a great time doing it, you know? So yeah, definitely. I'm going to need someone who listens to the show. Uh, I think we're doing right now, you know, right before the baby came, we were doing something like, uh, you know, like 40,000 a week or so. So out of the 40,000, someone <laughs> somewhere has to have a lead where we can get something set up because it would be awesome. But yeah, put uh, it together. Yeah, absolutely. Either they will come. I'll come. I'll be there. I'll race. I'll do everything. Um, yeah. However, uh, moving on, what, what's the future look like for you? What's got you excited? Obviously, you guys are having some big business growth. You've got plenty of stuff to release. You guys are, you know, working with the top names in racing. But, you know, is there a handful of things that have you really, really excited? Um, you know, outside of the UTB stuff, um, I, I kind of talked a little bit on the expedition rig that I'm building. Um, yeah. I, I think that that might turn into something. Um, we might make a push to maybe, maybe do some, some expedition stuff. And, and I'm not building like a, like a camper trailer. I mean, I have a, I have a, an M10, uh, 1079, uh, LMTV. So this is a big two and a half ton cab over military truck, 48 inch tall tires, <laughs> um, full time, four, full time four wheel drive. It's got a box in the back. We've outfitted the box with solar, uh, a dozen, uh, lithium batteries and and that's all posted up on my stuff online. That's, that's, that's pretty wild. Uh, yeah. But the cool thing is, is that uh, again, to kind of go back into the 3d scanning stuff is we've scanned that whole truck into the computer. So we've, uh, we've, we've been able to kind of do some wild stuff. So like my bed assembly uh, runs on linear actuators and lifts it from the ceiling to the floor. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, since space on these vehicles is, is always something to be, uh, aware of that you, you know, it's constant work around, especially for me, I'm six foot five. Like I don't, I've, I've that's that's huge, man. how do you fit in, like, how do you fit in these machines? See, that's why you're an X3 guy is because you fit in there. Me, I'm, so I'm like five, nine, five, 10 on a good day. I get an X3, can't see crap, super comfortable, but like, yeah. I don't fit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, my size in all these vehicles is, is, is kind of a tough thing, but, yeah. um, you know, back, back in the truck, um, you know, we've got to be able to, to have our space and you have a bed and a, and a truck like this and you got to have room to move around, eat, cook food, uh, use the bathroom, shower, everything. Um, but we've we've just been able to with the scanner technology that we have and the, the CNC machines, you know, we can make a lot of stuff that um, I, I dreamed of. Like I, I never, never, never thought when I started this thing when I was 21 years old back in 2007 that I was going to have, you know, 16 guys out there um, 
you know, machines down there and have the capabilities to, to build all this stuff. So again, you know, we, we talked about kind of forecasting the business and, and what I see in the future again, man, I, it's, it's just, it's, you know, I'm, I'm pretty aggressive person in, in yeah. business. Um, but, um, you know, it, it gives us the ability to build some stuff that a lot of others can't. So we might get into the expedition stuff. Um, we do a lot of reverse engineering with the scanner stuff for other businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of what we do is, is not just for CT Raceworks. Mm-hmm. Um, CNC machines, we've done mold and dyes for people from a machining standpoint. Um, we, with the scanner stuff, we've reversed some stuff, uh, made uh, machined uh, components for people, welded assemblies, uh, so we kind of like job shops and stuff out for guys yeah, that need yeah, stuff yeah. to happen from start to finish. Um, man, aside from that, man, we're just going to keep rocking, rocking uh, with the uh, with the little golf carts now with the UTVs yeah, and, and see what it evolves into. Yeah. So yeah. I want to ask too, just to make sure, are is expedition and overland are those interchangeable words in the off road world? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I, yeah. The, I know like, so I'm a part of like the overland groups because I just, I really think it's cool when someone can actually have, you know, shower utilities, cooking everything in their machine and go. And, you know, uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day and I think it's Tom Green, who's a comedian. And he, you know, he went and bought one of those like 1500 Ram, like Sprinter van type things. Did the whole, and you know, he's, he's so funny. Uh, Off-road people listening to this podcast like had a had a stroke because he was like yeah i got like in the sand and got stuck and i'm like oh god yeah <laughs> like it's like dude uh, you have no business being out there but he's yes, yeah I, I, yes. I heard i think i i heard what you what you listened to yeah um, yeah and it's so it's a it was a rogan podcast i'm a i'm a big rogan yeah. guy love it lo- love 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 it and uh dude you know one thing that really like kind of struck a like i don't want to i don't know how to say it like um just this this old school chord in me was he was talking about being out there at night with his dog. Like the only light he has was fire. And, you know, he, he has electronic you know capabilities, things like that. Uh, he does a podcast while he's out there. But just being able to be just far enough away from society and have like peace and quiet and being able to see the stars, something about that like got me. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know, my friends, we go to do, uh, you know, Brimstone, Windrock, and we'll go ride eight hours through TWR land, whatever it is. And we'll, we'll hang out for a while, go have lunch at like a restaurant, mom and pop in the mountain. And then we'll come back uh, at like, you know, be back at like three o'clock in the morning. But what if we could pack up all our gear and do it? And I think in my two seater, it just, you know, logistically doesn't work to take all that gear. But if I had, we had four seat rigs, you know, I really think in an ideal situation with the UTV, maybe not. It's just not enough room to get everything you need out there. Um, you know, you have to go super primitive, I, I feel like. Yeah. So one of my customers, uh, Al Roden, he has a four seat X3 and he drove from Phoenix to my shop. Oh my God. How? And uh, yeah. So he ran uh, the. Uh, oh, it's is like that the trans- transatlantic trail, I believe is yeah. what it is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is a guy that's got like 30,000 miles on his X3. Like Dang this is you. what he does. He's, he's gone from Arizona up to Canada, obviously back home. Um, and yeah, dude, I mean, he's, he's done the expedition thing. We, uh, again, we built him a chassis car too, to where we got in, fixed a lot of weak links and, and kind of built some storage into his car. Uh, yeah. Four seat car, 
uh, four-seat car, uh, nobody else. He's got his two dogs with him. Um, they sit in the back, and, and that four-seat car is loaded, loaded, yeah. loaded. To make yeah. it happen, yeah, you're, you're primitive. You're in, a, you're in a tent every night. Um, yeah. But, man, he does it, and it is, it's incredible. Part of me, you know, I, I think I, I don't know if you feel this way, but I think like as I got married and, and obviously I've got a I've got a kid now who's chiming in here. Um, mm -hmm. He you know, you look back and you there's not an envy to that lifestyle of being able to like the, not want to say like the bachelor life or anything, but like pack up, take your dogs, go. You know, now if I were to do something like that, I have to accommodate. I, you know, I don't mind primitive, but now I got to think about my wife. I got to think about my seven year old daughter. And like those things. And I'm like, man, you know, what a what a interesting blessing to be able to go do something like that, to, to go out and find find solace and be completely alone and, and really, you know, I say rough it. But like, you know, it kind of is what you know, you have a lot prepared and things like that. But uh, I, I have a very profound respect for people that can be alone with themselves like that, because the one of the most trying things is when you're out there and like you want to, you know, you think of something funny and you laugh and then like no one else is around you, you know, and you're just like, huh, right. that drives some people crazy. And like, especially as attached to social media and everything else that people are these days, you know, being able to go out and be in the alone, that's a, that's a skill that is not common anymore. Oh yeah. 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 We, we do, um, you know, I talked about doing camping and stuff like that. We do a camping yeah. trip. We used to do it once a year. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we'd get dropped off on an island in Florida, about two miles off the coast, and we'd stay out there. I mean, it's all primitive stuff, and we'd be out there for about five days. Um, and and, and we, we had what we could take. You know, we're, we're trying to source wood off the island, all kinds of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've experienced that a little bit, which is it was kind of the drive for the overland stuff was, um, you know, I'm not old. I'm not, you know, I'm 35. Yeah. Uh, but um, I'm, I'm you know, 23. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, we wanted to be able to 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 take a little bit more with us and and do stuff out yeah. there camping. Um. But yeah, I mean, being alone like that is is a different dynamic. It's it is, especially you know, you know, you got the the creatures in the woods. You know, if you're you're out there by yourself, you know, yeah. be prepared for it. But yeah, from the mental standpoint too, it's it's it is a. Uh, to not have human interaction for, for X amount of time that you're out there is, is, is a different thing. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, we're, we're barking over an hour here. Feel free to let me know uh, when you need to go at any point, but uh, can you tell me a little bit about being on an Island in Florida for five days? That is not, that, so whenever I tell people like, Hey, you know, what do you do outside the off-road world? They always casually miss over things like this. Like that's pretty unique. So tell me a little bit about it. If you've got time. Yeah, um, there's a there's a, a handful of us. Actually, Daniel, one of my guys here, he goes out there with us, and um, there's it's typically six of us, and we um, we we pack up stuff, pack them a cooler. Um, I, I've uh, <laughs> there's a lot of funny things that you learn when you can't go shower, yeah. you can't do anything. Um, if anybody is interested in doing this kind of one of the funnier things is I learned that if you put deodorant between your legs, you will not chafe between your legs. <laughs> this is a real struggle. And somebody, and somebody might be like, man, that is, that is dumb. Well, man, when you can't go, like, you can't just like take a shower, yeah. whatever, you, you got to figure out what works out there. So, um, no, we, uh, we load everything up. We get dropped off on a boat. We have, 
tent, obviously all primitive stuff. Uh, we fish, we, uh, we cook some of the fish that we catch. Uh, we cook everything over a fire on the beach. Um, mm. it's, 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 it's awesome, man. Um, you know, the, probably my favorite thing is, is that my phone will not last five days. So yeah. the second I touch that island and everybody's there, everything's cut off. Uh, I'm outside. Yeah. It is, it is the best reset in the world for me. Um, I, I love it. Uh, but, uh, we're out there. So the last time we were down there was two years ago. We got hit by some just absolutely wild storm that decimated us. Um, it's, um, it, it was a storm that blew over from Texas through the Gulf and hit us. So we're on the inner side of Florida. We're on the Gulf side okay. of Florida, yeah, uh, that's kind of right outside of Clearwater. Dude, yeah. Clearwater is one of my favorite places to go. Yeah, so we're so we're not far off of Clearwater. We're out on an island called Anclody Island out there, and okay. um, which if you, if you look it up, we're about you know mile and a half, two miles off the coast. And um, we got hit by a storm that pummeled us with like sixty five mile an hour winds. And um, I'll, I'll, <laughs> we went out there, had a great time. We knew the storm was coming, and the people down there were like, ah, you know, we we really advise you not to go out there. And we're like, ah, we're gonna give it a shot. Dang so we dude. went out there. And uh, there were four different tents out there. And the day that this this storm hit us, we all slept in one tent because because uh, the other three were not there anymore. Um, yeah. it, the, the wind destroyed everything. We had um, we had lightning strike about 200 yards from us on the beach while we were out there. Um, and we finally I mean, it just it, it was once the once the winds died down from 65, we we sustained I think. It was like 30 miles, 30 mile an hour winds for probably eight hours straight. Um, and and, and it, for those who don't know, like 30 mile an hour winds, that's legit. That is a serious, that's not like a constant breeze. That is, you know, you, you're not hang, like if you have a handful of papers, your paper's gone. That's serious. right. Yeah. So like on the beach, like 15 miles an hour starts to kind of become uncomfortable. You start like getting into like 17, 18, 19, 20 mile an hour winds. Now you're getting the sandblast effect. Like it is uncomfortable. Mm. Like, unless yeah. you're, unless you have some kind of, uh, some kind of coverage. Uh, yeah. 30 mile an hour. It, it was, it was rough. It did a lot of damage to us. It, uh, it definitely, mm. definitely broke the spirits a little bit, but uh, you know, we, we've done that a lot. Um, we'll, we'll go back and we'll hit it again. We try to, we try to do something like that once a year. And especially now with, with all the, the COVID stuff in the world, yeah. um, it's, it's throwing more people back outside, which I think is just, yeah, I think that's a great thing. That's a great thing. But uh, man, it, yeah. it, is, it is a fantastic experience. Everybody always says like, Oh man, you're crazy from going out there and doing stuff like that. Um, Dude. No, is it, is it the naked and afraid kind of thing? You know, I mean, we have stuff with this, but um, yeah, it's, it's, we, we have a chance to try to live off the land a little bit while we're out there. So do you have to have like a permit, like some kind of camping permit to be out there? Or are you just, you know, finding a boat shop that'll just take you out there? So uh, actually, um, just in the business community, what I did uh, through all of my customers and friends, I found one of my customers that had a buddy that had a boat down there and we would pay him to, <laughs> to come to the dock. And yep. uh, we talked to him into allowing us to load everything up and drop us off, uh, off on the island. Oh um, so, so yeah, um, there's a, there's a park ranger out there on the Island. He is, he is the only house he lives. He lives on the Island. Um, the, the Island, I think 
uh, I think the island's about two or three miles tall. So we're he's on the very south side. We're okay. on the very north side of the island. Um, he is the only other soul on that island. And the only uh-huh. thing is, is once you get there, um, you know, you call into the park ranger and say, hey, we're here. We're going to be here from dates, blah, 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 to blah, blah, blah. And he'll come in and, and, and poke his head in every now and again. But uh, Dude, you know, he says, you know, what a lot of that Oh yeah, 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 and he's the only guy. So again, going back to, uh, you know, by himself, like all the time. Solitary. That's, yeah. that's oh that my guy. god, man, dude, that is crazy. And uh, do you, have you so have you done anything other than the Florida Island before? You guys gonna do like you know uh, Colorado woods or you know a, a day or five days in the Arizona desert, anything like that? Yeah, we'd we'd like to do some more. Um, kind of tinkered around out in the Ozarks a little bit. That's a beautiful yeah. place. Um, yeah, it's absolutely. it's woods, so I'm comfortable there. Um, kind of know, excuse me, know all the gear that I need to have. Um, desert kind of changes gear stuff. It's so, different. Yeah, I, I don't know all of the the gear, and especially going into cold weather stuff there too. You got different different gear requirements mm-hmm. that you got to have to be out there um, to not get yourself in trouble. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, we'll be out there in the truck. However, truck is is not the same as, as, you know, being out there in a tent. No. So there was it's actually funny you say that there was a Discovery Channel show when I was probably 17 or 18, uh, probably, oh, I don't know, 2011, maybe. And mm-hmm. it was uh, a, a guy who was who drove a Jeep off road because they, they basically they had a Jeep and they had a driver and they had this survival expert. And they went to all these different places and they drove the Jeep around. And then the survival expert would like use things off the Jeep to survive for the day or night. And it had one season, it had like four or five episodes, really cool. But I think it like had horrible ratings. Uh, Like I know, for example, uh, one of the things is they were in the desert. They talked about airing down tires, things like that. And they also talked about like water collecting. And I'll never forget it. The guy, because I had a Jeep TJ, Jeep TJ was on the show. I was like enamored. And he jumps right in the middle of the hood right before nighttime. Uh, and he's like, and the, obviously the driver guy was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And uh, he was like, this is how we're going to collect water. He's, we're going to, yeah. you know, condensation. It's going to all get here. So he smashed the hood in and that's where they had their water for the day or so. And uh, I don't, like I said, don't know what happened to the show, but really interesting idea. Uh, I've always been a big fan of survivor man. Um, man versus wild is bull crap. Cause the guy just stayed in hotels. Dude, that pissed me yeah. off. So bad, but yeah. Once you go back and watch it, you're like, Oh yeah, this guy definitely wasn't doing this. But uh, yeah. Man is pretty legit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But anyways, all in all, I, I love those kind of derail conversations. Uh, are you a fan uh, of the UFC by chance? You keep up with any of that? Um, no, I haven't kept up with a lot of it. I, I used okay. to watch it pretty religiously way way back when, but um, I, I have a lot of respect for those guys and watch some of it, but I, I don't yeah. keep up with it. Yeah, so I, I I like it. It's way too expensive to watch every fight. Holy smokes! But um, I have like a ESPN Plus and stuff like that, so I get to see the fun stuff. But uh, this weekend there's a heavyweight title fight. You have one guy who touches you at all, and he and you just you know you're out. And then you have uh, probably the most he he is the most decorated heavyweight of all time, Stipe Miocic. Uh, so very exciting fight this weekend. I always like bring it up because I have I have. Uh, you know, intermittently I'll bring up the UFC and kind of talk about it with people, but uh, looking forward to that. we got a race this weekend. So um, busy stuff and, and uh, you know, all that kind of fun stuff, but 
Uh, Alex, I had a great time talking to you. Was there anything that we didn't uh, get a chance to talk about? Oh, no, I think I think we I think we covered a good chunk of it. I mean, we're always going to miss stuff, but yeah, I think it's pretty solid. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I'll just say this: I'm looking forward to next time. I, I always enjoy having people on who. Uh, my wife is getting home, so I'll close this door real quick. Uh, I always enjoy having people on who uh, are really good at what they do, and and yeah. you are definitely in that category. So. Uh, just Thank to you. find you, uh, where is your social media? Do you have like separate stuff or are you all under CP Raceworks? Uh, I have just my, my page on Facebook, Alex okay. Reed. Um, I, I don't I don't have much of anything else. Um, I, I, pro- I might do an Instagram thing at some point, especially once we get out in the truck. But um, as cool. of now, no, I'm just, just me on there. I, I don't spend a whole lot of time on there on the on the social medias and stuff like that. That's but, good. Uh, That's healthy, yeah. man. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Uh, if my business wasn't built on it, I wouldn't have it. So, well, I'm I'm not too far. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've got a couple guys that are that are on there pretty, pretty often, and I'm on there a lot too. But um, in terms of per- posting a lot of personal stuff, I don't I don't do that too terribly often. Yeah, well, I definitely understand that for sure. Um, but that's it. That's all I got for you. Uh, we'll close it out here. Anybody uh, you need to give a shout out to while we close this out? Uh. No, I mean my my wife for for letting me uh, spend all my time here at work and, and build this <laughs> business up and and her being right there, you know, pushing me along the way. You know, it's uh, she is she is definitely a, a big reason why um, I've, I've got that positive motivation there to uh, to keep pushing things forward, especially in you know every business owner has their time of doubt and you you've got that that good reinforcement behind you. That's a that's a big thing. That's a massive Absolutely. massive thing. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and all my guys here, man. Like I said, you know, I, I, I uh, obviously play a, a large role here uh, in mm-hmm. development and everything. But again, without my guys, man, um, you know, we we've got nothing. The, the, those guys out there that are that are killing it every day, those those are the guys. So my wife and wife and my guys here. Awesome, yeah. man. Well, uh, with that, we'll uh, we'll close it out. Stay on the line for me. We'll chat for a few minutes and. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you're listening to the audio version, I highly suggest that you check out the YouTube version. Uh, give us a subscribe, all that kind of dumb stuff over there. Uh, it helps us more than you know. And uh, we'll be at Wildcat Off-Road Park this Saturday. If you're listening to this on the raceway out there, uh, come give me a shout-out, and uh, we'll, we'll come hang out, and we'll be around this weekend. So, uh, Alex Reed, thanks for being on the show, buddy. And uh, like I said, sure. can't wait till next time. Yeah, man. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, Most importantly, if you can, subscribe to our YouTube and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if possible. Today's show is powered by RCV Performance Products. One really cool thing is that RCV uh, not only runs their trail series, but they also have a pro series of axles. In fact, they're on their second iteration for UTVs. Uh, The RCV Performance Pro Series 2 axles, which have a, com- have a completely different design from the Series 1 where they used a bell. Uh, the Pro Series 2 is more like the boot system CV style that you're normally used to seeing on uh, other UTV axles, but they have taken it to the next level. They are designed and engineered to handle the most abusive conditions from trail riding to desert racing, which I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to adjust that ad because I think that there's rougher things than desert racing out there. I think a lot of the rock bouncer UTVs, the rock you know the rock buggy UTV buggies, uh, those guys are pretty harsh on parts. With years of experience though in racing and working with the top drivers in the industry, 
RCV has been able to develop the ultimate axle solution. Seriously, guys, this is the end-all, be-all. You want to know what Tim Cameron runs? You want to know what Lauren Healy runs? It's, it's funny when guys who do completely opposite things run the same parts because there's no better. It should tell you something. that The Pro Series 2 axle features RCV's high-temperature spec grease designed to withstand the harshest environments. The Outboard Pro Series Orange Boot is built to be precise within specifications to be puncture resistant and heat resistant up to 450 degrees, and all of those are manufactured in the United States. It's big. RCV on the show is big, guys. RCV Performance Products on Facebook and Instagram, and let me get the website here. I think it's RCV Performance. Let's get it, rcvperformance.com, and if you make a phone call, tell them Racing on the Rock sent you, and uh, I, I, I would mean a lot to me. So next on the list is the all-powerful Supergrip ATV tires. In the opening ad, I talked about running 32-inch tires, uh, my 32-inch K9 XTs, but I'm going to flip-flop a little bit. I also finally got my amp tires. My amp tires are 29-inch tall, 9 inches wide. They're like the front bighorn tires that come on your uh, razor right off the lot. Let me tell you guys, uh, I'm excited to try them because I've got them. They're a little bit more of a complex tread pattern. There's more technology added into the rubber, into the pattern itself. Uh, but one of the really cool things is I've got them hooked up on some beadlocks and I'm ready to do some little dirt racing. If I can make it out to Dirty Turtle or somewhere like that, I cannot wait to go give those amp tires uh, a beating on the track or somewhere that maybe is not like Adventure Off-Road Park or not like Johnson Valley, where you need huge ground clearance from huge tires. If I have somewhere like Windrock or something where I'm probably gonna be riding some distance, I'm gonna give those amp tires a try. They're six ply made of the extremely high quality rubber that comes from Super Grip ATV tires. I'm really excited to put some miles on those bad boys, just need a chance to take them out. Super Grip ATV, performance ATV tires, on Instagram and Facebook and supergripatv.com. Next on the list is Diddy's Big Block Race Shop. I talked a little bit in the opener as well about how they valved my shocks and got them fixed and just they're just better. Like there's not a there's not even a strong comparison between good and bad. These shocks are better. It's amazing. Just with a little bit of fine tuning because Chris over at Diddy's Big Block Race Shop knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, it's a big, 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 big difference. If you have an extra thousand bucks, I think, I think, guys, I think that's the price point. Thousand bucks will get your shocks revalved, reworked, you know, whatever you want to call it, cleaned up and sent back to your doorstep. And let me tell you guys something you'll thank me later because there's a ton of expensive organizations out there that want to charge you, you know, upwards of $2,500, $3,000. Chris at Diddy's Big Block Race Shop gets the job done in a beautiful manner. Wouldn't be wouldn't be pimping it out if I didn't believe in it. So Diddy's Big Block Race Shop on Instagram, Diddy's Big Block Race Shop on Facebook. All Things UTV is also a sponsor. One thing that's pretty cool uh, is I'm not going to have to worry about ever breaking axles now that I have RCVs, but in the event that you have broken an axle, All Things UTV has a product called Axle Magic. It is a patented uh, slide hammer design made to get axles out of your differential or transmission where it's broken at the CV side 
uh, on the transmission or differential side. The CV's broken. You see people all the time, they have to either go pull the other side and hit it, hit, hit it out with a hammer if it's going through the transmission, or if it's broken off in the differential, you know, they'll have to really do some crazy magic to get it out of there. All Things UTV has your solution with the Axle Magic 2. It's a great axle puller, and uh, let me tell you guys, it's just uh, easy. For the price that it costs, it's just nice to have one so you don't have to worry about the headache. Don't ever have to worry about axles getting stuck in any of your differentials ever again with All Things UTV Axle Magic 2. All Things UTV on Facebook and Instagram and allthingsutv.com. Last but not least, one of my favorites, Infinite Off-Road. If you need light bars, light pods, whips, wheel rings, rock lights, the best damn rock lights that money can buy, Infinite Off-Road is where you go. Let me tell you guys, Infinite Off-Road really has an awesome product because they offer a 25-year you break it, they fix it warranty that even covers accidental damage, which let me explain to you guys. If you get in a car crash, if you hit a tree, whatever it is that you think you're going to do or can't do or whatever, I don't know what you're trying to do, but if you break it, they're literally just going to send you a new one. It's the, it's one of the greatest greatest ploys in, in the off-road world. It can't get any better than that. Infiniteoffroad.com. And let me tell you guys this right here, right now. They're going to give you 10% off with code word rocks. So there's that. Infiniteoffroad.com. Code word rocks. R-O-C-K-S. And you'll get your 10% off. All right, fellas, ladies, gents. That's everything. And that's all I have Thank you guys for making this happen for us. Welcome to 2021. It's going to be our best year yet. Thanks for sticking around. Make sure you guys share the podcast. Follow us on YouTube and do all the other dumb stuff that people ask you to do. Peace.